Hello. Welcome to Get Valiant. 172. The big 172. <laughs> oh, it's good to be here. How are how are all you guys, especially our special guest, Alejandro? Hello. Thank you. I'm well. How are you? I'm just happy to be here. Just happy to be here. I'm very, very happy to talk about this comic that we finally get to really dig into. Um, we had you on er earlier before we could really talk about the book, and uh, we didn't know where everything was going to go. Before we go any further, you yeah. know we're going to. <laughs> yeah. Spoiler, it's happening. It you know, is happening. Uh, before, before you guys start with any questions or anything, you know what I want to point out right away? You know what was hidden in plain sight all along from the very beginning, from before this comic even started coming out? Do you remember the character design variant on issue one that was drawn by Jim Toe? Featured both Bart's, featured both Doctors tomorrow, the original one and the adult that Bart becomes. And yeah, definitely. We, we knew that we could show that off because nobody would guess what yeah. was going to turn out to be. Yeah, I wondered why there were all the designs that there were. Like, it seemed like well, there's a lot of versions of this guy. Lots of time travel going to happen. I don't know. Well, I, yeah, I thought looking at it, it's like, oh, are these, like, I, maybe one of these is like a version that, you know, it doesn't make it to the book. You know, like, it's cool we got to see it, but maybe it doesn't get, see print. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Sketchbook designs, and different versions of the character. But no, we, we knew that that's what people would assume they were looking at. But the surprise was that that was actually going to be the surprise character. Yeah, there's some definitely cool things on this. And for those of you who are joining us, we're going to talk about Dr. Tomorrow. We got the writer of the series, Alejandro Albona, on with us. And uh, that image that he's talked about is going to be featured here. Give us just a second. So the Dr. quick Tomorrow. image there of that uh, multiple Jim Toe uh, art of uh, Bart Sims. And, dude, this we, we got this book a little early, and then we had to be really cagey and coy about it when we talked to you last time. Then we already threw the spoiler alert out, man. We're happy to get in here. And glad that you made good on the promise of coming back when it was all said and done. Oh, and yeah. lives out today. It was a blast. <laughs> what a strange time it's been. I was just thinking today, issue one came out February 19th. Feels like a lifetime ago. Everything yeah. so different. How innocent we were back then. Yeah. Um, and I think you did a great job with this character, getting this character getting getting started, right? And we had talked a little bit um, about you know getting this book started, how you and Robert went to lunch, came up with the idea. Is there more you could tell us about that now that you know we're five issues deep? We're, yeah, yeah, yeah. When we we've talked about this in the past, and I've always told people that I um, I couldn't say how I pitched this to Valiant because the pitch itself was a spoiler. But the, but now that it's all out there, uh, we can talk about it. The pitch initially was um, Robert and I were talking about how Valiant wanted to do an aspirational kind of you know really good guy, a superhero with a cape. And then Robert also said that 
they were still interested in, in relaunching Dr. Amaro, which is a thing that had been, you know, being talked about at Valiant for years before, even when I was editing there, we talked about bringing back Dr. Amaro in some way, even back then. We, we, we were trying to figure out a way to approach the original Bob Layton uh, version of the story back then with a box of technology that comes back from the future, and we couldn't really figure out the way how to do it. Um, and then we kind of set it aside for years. So yeah, then one day Robin and I were hanging out, and he said that they wanted to do this this kind of superhero, and they also wanted to do that for tomorrow, and maybe, maybe that could be that, that could allow to provide that that version of a character. And I always joke that I'm not really the person who comes up with ideas on the spot, and I do it in the room, so to speak, but literally I just blurted out on the spot. What if you got a, a boy sidekick, a superhero, and a supervillain, and it turns out that the boy and the superhero are the same person, but then it also turns out that the superhero and the supervillain are the same person. At different ages, because it turns out. And during the course of the story, the superhero kills the supervillain and becomes him. And then the challenge is for the boy to become the superhero, but without being that, without turning into that bad guy, without being the superhero. And that was the pitch. And then Robert said, we'll think about it. And he went back and he landed up the flagpole and I was curious about it. And then he got back to me and he said, we're interested. You know, write it up, write up, a, write up, a, flush it out. And then that's when I started coming up with a, a story in the parallel university. It worked yeah. out so well. Like such a, like, it seems like a relatively simple idea that was fleshed out in a way that man what a fun ride that's all i can say like the only complaint that i have about issue number five is that we're done now. <laughs> that's well, like my biggest hopefully not for too long but i don't know yes. i can't say anything about that yet but hopefully there's more i mean we've talked about this for a while now we're hoping we can do more but the jury is still out on that yeah i know that you said last time that if you could do more you would so Hopefully, you know, that opportunity presents itself. I think that we're all um, definitely already on board with whatever, it, you know, if something next happens. Yeah. And, and very, it wrapped up really good. And it was a complete package is what I really loved about it. Having reread all five issues the last couple of days and seeing the foreshadowing uh, with the Bart and, um, God, I forget his friend's name, Gretchen. Seeing those two fight with the other boys in in the and talking about controlling his temper and managing who he is and you can be a good guy and it really summarized the series up but yet you kind of didn't you didn't see that up front um, and so it was really cool then we got to see you know Time Walkers in there we got to see all the Valiant Universe pretty in there and then I loved in issue five where you kind of like took away that jumping universes because. Uh, that was some people's issues that they had with it. It's like, okay, Dead's not dead in Valiant Universe anymore because of this. And then you're like, you thought so, I fixed it. So I, I yeah. just loved it. Yeah, the, the whole multiple universe thing was was there to be, uh, it's just the how that allows this story to exist. But it's not about opening a whole, it's not about opening a whole can of worms. We're not gonna do jumping universes like crazy from now on. You know, we're not gonna be, we're not gonna be bringing people in from other universes to, you know, we're not going to bring anyone back from the dead that way. Nothing like that. It was just there to be basically like the plot mechanics that allowed this story to, to exist. And then we, you know, hopefully tidily put it away 
close that box. I'm sure, never say never, I'm sure we'll do more multiple universe stuff in the future, but it's not It's not going to be a can of worms. It's not an out of control plot device. It's not a reset button. It's not an undo. It's not going to be anything like that. Well, I thought it was handled really well. Some great fan service in there. And one of our... Uh, our listeners in here, our viewers, I guess, Sean Hayes basically talked about the idea of dropping that Man of the Atom comment. Um, <laughs> I, I'm sure a lot of Long Time Valiant fans kind of dug it, kind of got a snickle out of it. Um, that was that was pretty great. And it was basically whose idea was to throw that nod in there. I that I thought of that joke when I was writing that page of script. Like, sometimes during the process of writing, there was stuff that came up, like, in the moment on the spot that really surprised me. And that was one I hadn't planned on doing anything like that. And I was writing that scene, and then I literally thought he should ask. He's he's been to he's been to uh, he's been to parallel universes. He's seen other valiant characters. He's seen so in other universes. <laughs> he should ask in some way. And I wrote the joke, and I thought there's no way that they let me do this. They're not going to let this guy. It's going to be a legal problem or something. And I and I sent the script when I finished the script and turned it in. I, I told Robert like. There's a joke on page one that you're not going to let me do, but we'll try. It's there now. <laughs> and he read it and he said, I like it. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. And then they checked and then, you know, then they said it was fine and we all got a good laugh out of it. You know what? Um, what actually, uh, something that fell out in that scene that was in there originally, the first draft of the script, was uh, he asked about a man of the atom. And, you know, there's the joke. Uh, and then you turn the page and the next page was going to be a little one page cutaway scene of divinity just to explain why why divinity doesn't get involved and i wrote it you know and and i sent it in and robert came back with what i thought was really excellent editorial advice which was divinity never gets involved in anything in the valiant universe like that's what he's all about you know, he knows he already knows it's going to turn out okay, so he doesn't need to get involved. So either readers of this comic book already know that, and you don't need to put that in there, or this is new readers who don't know who Divinity is. They're not going to miss it. They're not going to be like, where where is Divinity? He could have put all this with a snap of his fingers in it. And I thought that was really good advice because if you're going to put Divinity in there just to explain why he's not in the story, then you have to put him in every story. You know, you'd have to put him in Quantum and Woody. You'd have, every time a villain turns up, you're going to be like, why doesn't Divinity fix this? You know, <laughs> he's all powerful. He could end this immediately. Yeah. That's, a, that's a problem that we run into in comics a lot when you're writing a story for like, if you're writing a, a Spider-Man story and a villain shows up, right away you have to answer the question of like, well, why doesn't he just call the Avengers? Why do not he get help, you know? So there was that. I, I wanted to put Divinity in there to be like, here's why he's not. All the heroes of the Valley universe are there. Here's why this one is not. But it wasn't really necessary. And I'm glad Robert gave me that note because it definitely saved me a page that I could use better for other things. I think that really well, that opened up uh, Bart's uh, ability to be a leader, though, too, not having somebody like that in there and having him kind of take that realm when he jumped into the universe. And having, I mean, I'm assuming he worked with all the other characters in other universes so he kind of had some type of know of who they were how they acted whatnot so I, I i you know what i mean i think there's a lot of stuff that happens in this book that we don't quite see and we're kind of seeing because 
there's a Bart coming from another universe. He knows the Man of the Atom in another one. He probably knows, you know, Arkadasi in another one. And so I thought that was kind of an interesting, you know, realm to have and having this new guy come in and take the realm and be like, I'm the leader, we're going. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he shows up with basically the attitude of like, none of you know what you're up against, but I do, so I'm in charge. But then it turns out that he's terrible at being in charge, so <laughs> just loses again and again. I, man, there's so many aspects of this book. Um, I thought the, I thought is issue four that is him growing up, right? And um, I thought like this is kind of an actiony comic book, and there's this issue that kind of steps away from that and is all about like growing up and responsibility. And it feels like a departure from the rest of the book, but it works out so, so well. I thought it came across. It was my favorite issue. Um, did it feel like, when you're writing that, did it feel like a risk to, to take a step back in that issue? Or did it was it just the obvious decision that had to be made? I, I knew that that issue, that issue was always part of the story, and I knew that it had to be there. And it did feel like a huge risk. I'm, I'm really surprised and pleased that you said that it's a favorite because I always thought, you know, this is the obviously this is the quiet issue, this is the slow issue, which is important to have because if we're all yelling and fighting all the time, you've got to have some kind of breather. But I was, yeah, I was worried that it was such an odd issue and so quiet. Um, when I outlined that issue, I knew that, you know, there comes a turning point in the story when. The, the teenage Bart has to kind of realize that Gretchen, the adult Gretchen, knows what she's doing and knows what she's talking about, and he has to learn to look up to her and be more humble, and he has to realize how much he can learn from her. And in all the earliest versions of the outline that I tried to do, that always came through like uh, an action sequence where I was going to have them like fight a supervillain in that world or. In one version of the outline, I was going to reveal that that world has hundreds and hundreds of uh, members of ginger species all live there, like coexisting with humans. But it didn't—it didn't work. Like I started to outline that, and it didn't work. And I was trying all these approaches that would have been like visually dazzling, that would have been sci-fi, like superhero action. I would have had a big fight in there, and none of it was working. Partly because everything I tried flew in the face of the lesson that Bart was supposed to learn. That he, you know, he's supposed to learn not to solve everything by fighting, and not to be angry, and 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 jump straight into, you know, like head first into, into a battle. And if every object lesson that I could come up with was a different model of a fight or a different kind of thing like that, it, it wasn't going to teach him any lesson. And then the idea that finally struck me was an argument at dinner, like. <laughs> I thought of like, oh yeah, they could just have a fight at the dinner table, and that's what brings out all those feelings, and that's kind of the emotional turning point of the issue. And that's another thing that I thought, I'm gonna turn this in and they're gonna tell me no. They're gonna tell me like, why don't you have something super heroic happen instead of Bart having an argument with, you know, essentially his mom. Like it's a teenager whining and arguing with his mom at the dinner table. Not very exciting. And I turned it in and they were like, this is good, we like it. And I 
yeah, I was very, I was very pleased. It definitely felt like a huge risk. But I also always thought of that issue as uh, it, it is absolutely the the crux of the story. Like I said before, it's the emotional turning point of the story with Bart and all of his biggest lessons. And I always refer to that issue as the the thirty sixth chamber of Shaolin issue, because in the movie the thirty sixth chamber of Shaolin, that movie has half its running time with with uh, the village, you know, the, the village where all these characters live is getting attacked and brutalized, and eventually the main character goes away and he finds the Shaolin Temple, tries to get in, and they won't accept him, and he tries to wiggle his way in, and then eventually he gets in, and then he trains at the Shaolin Temple for years and years until he, you know, graduates basically, until he's good enough to be a teacher there. And when he leaves and returns to his village years later and saves it from the villains. So that for me was what this issue was. This is the 36 chamber, which is the, the Shaolin Temple uh, sequence where he had to go and train for years and years to be good enough. I think what you said about the issue being the emotional turning point, I think that's what I enjoyed so much is that the emotion from all those characters came through so well. Um, it was a very impactful issue in my opinion. So I just want to thank you for that because that's always, um, I always think of a comic as, as an, on a different level when it can um, convey emotion that well. So it's definitely something I wanted to commend you on. It was extremely well done. And obviously the whole team pitched in um, because the art in that issue stays fantastic, even though it's not, you know, everybody punching everybody else the entire time um you know it stays interesting and dynamic um yeah i thought that yeah. it i love it you really sold that stuff super well i mean like in the script i kept i kept uh, describing all these things like for example in that little uh, montage sequence i was pointing out like now they're five years older now you know now bart is 18 now bart is 22 now bart is 25. and he really sold jim really sold the way like gretchen you know, when he when he first gets to that universe and they're unveiling the statue, Gretchen is age fifty five. And by the last few pages when Bart leaves to go back home, she's seventy five. And and you know, I basically was like, Jim, you gotta keep her recognizable but also make sure that she shows her age. And 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 of course also shows all of that emotion everything. And he really, really sold it, this wouldn't have worked it out Completely so, agreed. Yeah. So one question I had about this is it does seem like in a way this book is very much all ages. And in, and in that sense, it almost doesn't quite fit in with Valiant because Valiant's a, a little bit more realistic, like in his tone, I think. It's a bit dark. Um, and with making a character like this so accessible, did you guys have any kind of worries about it coming off maybe um, – to all ages, because sometimes we look at all ages and we might say like it's for kids, but it's not necessarily just for kids. It's just anyone can like it. But did you think that it would maybe not mesh well with how dark a lot of the other value books are? Well, yeah, you're right. People people talk about all ages, comics being all ages, and they assume that to be code language for meaning for kids. And it's not, it should never be that way. All ages should mean all ages. I mean, all ages is what a Superman comic is supposed to be. All ages is what a Spider-Man comic is supposed to be. Any Spider-Man comic, you know, total mainstream continuity, uh, Amazing Spider-Man, whatever issue is supposed to be all ages. So, the 
the reason the Valiant characters, as you said, are so are so are so realistic and dark is because they're treated in this in this way where all of the characters are very um, nuanced and very layered and they're morally gray. The way that you know the way that we are in real life, the way that people are in real life, and their characters, a lot of them who come from backgrounds where they do a lot of uh, killing, like the fact that Ninjak is an assassin, the fact that. Exo Manowar came from a military background in a, you know, in a sort of, in a, in a, in a, in a time of swords and warfare. And now he's a hero in the present day. Like he still operates that way. He still has the Visigoth mentality. That applies to almost all of the Valiant characters with the exception maybe of Faith, maybe of Fondam, Quantum and Witty, like the rest of these characters all kill. The thing with Dr. Gamaro is not that he was supposed to be for children, the character or the comic, it's that he was supposed to be an exception to the to the morally gray uh, darkness of Valiant characters. He was supposed to be a character who is more morally aspirational, whose story is more uplifting. Is you know essentially is like a Superman type character. It's a character that you can look up to. It, now, instead of seeing yourself in him and and thinking that's the same decision I would make or, or whatever. This is supposed to be a character that you instead admire and think like we should all strive to be that good. And that by itself is already, as you mentioned, is already kind of an exception in the Valiant universe. So since we were striving for that goal, and then in addition to that, since the story that I pitched happened to have a 15-year-old protagonist, um, Robert and the company and everybody thought this is a great opportunity to try to, to try to capture a new market that is not really open to Valiant necessarily because a lot of the comics are really violent. And I say that not in any critical way because I love the violent characters. You know, I love the fact that Moonjack is an assassin and everything. Um, but it was more about broadening, you know, broadening the, the readership, broadening the audience, that this should be a comic for Valiant fans that are already there, but it should also be a comic for uh, new fans and for kids who maybe aren't reading Valiant. And, and I like that ability where he is the, the one that's trying to be better because that's exactly what Bart himself is. He's not trying to turn into the other universe older him that came and got him. He's trying to not fall into the trap of power, of, of, of the abilities. And so, I mean, I, I like that piece of it because there is some gray within that as well that i think a lot of people struggle with we all want to be good people right so yeah. i would hope at least i was i was for, for me a lot of that came from the fact of like being being presented with the challenge of how do you how do you co-create uh you know a mo an extremely morally good character how do you create a character who just makes all these good decisions and strives so hard works so hard to be good um especially in a world where there's so much uh, darkness and violence. And uh, I was trying to think of how to meet that goal and at the same time thinking of the original Dr. Demar, which is a comic that I'm a, that I'm a big fan of. But what I find really interesting about the original Dr. Demaro is that it's, it is actually a very, like he's a very morally compromised character. That's what that whole story is about. The fact that he, the fact that he lies and the fact that he regrets turning out the way he did and the fact that he spends a lot of his story trying to undo his, his own origin. I thought uh, 
what could be a kind of a cool way to update that while also meeting that goal of trying to be become a very good person was literally being a boy who gets to see the way he grows up, gets to see himself uh, as the man that he's destined to become and reacts with like, that guy's awful. That guy's awful. I can't turn out like that, you know? And then he has to make every decision to go the opposite way, to try to be better. And so, yeah, the thing that, the thing that inspires him to be the best that he could possibly be is the fact that he has seen how bad he is capable of being. He knows how bad he can be if he isn't careful. So then he feels like he has a moral responsibility to be better, to, to do better, to work harder. I thought that was perfectly... Something I try to apply in my own life all the time, and it's something I think, you know, it's a choice everyone can make every day of their life. Um, I thought the moment that he gave the ability to, like he gave the specs of his suit away, mm -hmm. I thought that was a, a very good like telling how far he had come and how mature he had become. Um, there's, there's a, there's a, um, there's, there are two specific reasons why I put that moment in there. Uh, and one of them is kind of there in subtext and the other one, I feel like I would have fleshed out more if I had a little more real estate. But the one thing is, when he talks to when he talks to the imprisoned Dr. Romano, his predecessor, and he says, "I didn't, I didn't turn out like you. I'm not, I'm not like you." And that Dr. Romano tells him, "Like, yeah, you are. You got, you can, you, you can still turn out like me. Like you haven't become me yet. You can still turn out this way." And he immediately from there basically goes straight to Neil and says, "You, you I, I'm going to be accountable to you. You know." Like that, Doctor Tomorrow warns him: if you, when you when you really unleash with your power, no one can stop you. And he goes to Neela and says, "I, I need you to be able to stop." Him. You're, you know, he's basically making himself accountable to somebody. He's 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 admitting that if you have power that that is unchecked and nobody can stop you, then that's just a that's just a root to evil to begin with. The second thing, which I think is. I wanted to be there in the subtext, and I kind of feel like I should have fleshed it out a little more. Is that he also trusts Neela with that in particular because they have something in common, which is that she's kind of been through the same thing. She also met a different Neela, who she could have turned out like, you know, and she didn't, and she and she turned out better. And he sees that that's a thing that they have in common, and he respects her for that, and he knows that he can trust her because of that. It's perfect. And one of my favorite things about it is that it um, it ties together characters that can have their own books, but can also show up in each other's books. And there was a lot of that in this series. There was a lot of other characters. This wasn't a Dr. Tomorrow book where we hang out with Dr. Tomorrow and his sidekicks. It's the entire Valiant Universe getting involved. And I wonder, um, yeah, I mean, how... I have to imagine that was pretty awesome to be able to work with all of those different characters. It really was. I, I There's so much more I wish I could have done, but you know, we just didn't have the space for it in five issues. But there were, at, at different points, I had different scenes with uh, characters that, on the one hand, they were like kind of taking away from the real heart of the story too much. You know, like the more that you, the more that you start to um, flesh out other characters, the further away you get from Bart and Gretchen. So I had to keep the focus on them. 
but it was also just a matter of page count. Like if I'd had a little more space, I, I would have put in, uh, you know, like more scenes with Capshaw because I love Capshaw so much. Uh, in my different outlines, I had I had a little more of Capshaw, I had a little more of Ginger, um, stuff like that. But yeah, it was a lot of fun to be able to get to to write everybody and put everybody in there. Uh, you know, maybe if we get to do more Doctor tomorrow, I can I can explore that a little further. I one of the things that I liked about it was in the first issue, it kind of hints at the fact that Bart and his father are very troubled and his mother has passed away and he's almost become like this forgotten character in his, in his family life. And I love the fact that in the last issue, it wasn't just like a footnote, but it, it felt like the issue took the time for Bart to kind of explain to his father, like, I'm, this is me 20 years later, but I'm here now. And for his father to also kind of reconcile with the fact that, yeah, I haven't been there. And uh, I like the way it happened. It, it almost looks like one of those things that would have been explored in a second series almost. Oh, I'm, I'm going to tease this for you right now. If we get to do Dr. Tomorrow 2, I, I tentatively call it Dr. Tomorrow 2, but whatever, volume 2. If I can have my way, it'll be issue 1, page 1. We'll open in a bar, and Bart's dad is sitting there at the bar having a beer, and the door opens, and Bart comes in, like t-shirt and jeans, normal, normal guy, to meet his dad for a beer. And he sits down and orders a beer, and his dad says, like, isn't this weird? I can't believe it. Like, here I am having a beer with my son. And Bart will say, like, yeah, it seems like only a month ago he was dropping me off at Little League. And his dad will be like, that was a month ago. <laughs> <laughs> the, time, the time didn't pass here like it did for you. you know? So that's, that's definitely a thing that I didn't want to just throw away. Like, uh, a lot of what happens in this story for Bart is him figuring out how to grow up and be the man that he wants to be. But the same lesson applies to Bart's dad. You know, Bart's dad, even though he's hardly in the story, he's only in a couple of panels here and there, he has a whole journey too where he like he's trying to be the best dad that he that he knows how to be, but he doesn't like there's no instruction manual for this stuff. He's he's like trying to be there for his son one way, but that you know, he's trying to be there for him as a provider, but that just means that he has to work hard and, and like, you know, leave town and go to meetings and stuff like that. So he doesn't realize that even though he's trying to be there for him one way as a provider, he's not being there for him emotionally another way. And that started when Bart was much younger, little by little they drifted apart and now they're kind of in this cycle that they don't even know how to break out of. They don't know how to, how to even talk to each other. And that's a, that's a key part of the, you know, that's a key part of Bart coming to terms with himself and, and, and figuring out his own issues. And it will continue to be like, you know, the, the, all of this time travel screwy and all of this like multiple universe stuff was all just the origin story. And if we get to do more, it's going to be now Bart is an adult in the universe, living, living the life of an adult man, you know, but his dad is still going to be there. Like, you know, he's still going to have a relationship with his dad. That, so that's a character who's, who's still going to show up stuff um the first doctor tomorrow is still going to be there imprisoned because that's also sort of his dad in a way that's kind of his surrogate father figure that's the that's the guy that he admired and looked up to and wanted to be like and then realized that he, that he didn't want to be like that guy and that he promises never to turn out the way that guy was you know like that's that's a real emotional like father son type of thing 
I'll never turn into that guy. And then one day he realized, like, you know, when you, when, if you shake your fist and say you'll never turn out like your dad, one day you're going to be this, the same age that he was when he had kids. And you're going to realize that you don't really know what you're doing either. And he was doing the best he, he knew how to do. And that's just what growing up is, you know. Like, you realize that you become an adult and nobody really knows anything. And they're just trying the best. So that's a key thing for Bart in, in this, in the journey of these five issues, and it'll continue to be a future stories that we get to the end. Yeah, it leaves open a lot. Like seeing uh, Neela and Gretchen, basically those two together would be quite fun too, if there was some interactions with, uh, you know, Gretchen becoming a bigger factor into, you know, a supporting character on top of what she has done and, and her adult self. Um, and being a friend with seeing her getting the science, all of that with uh, Time Walker, that would just be awesome. I, I believe that's what makes this so fun. It's a great origin story that does, you know, evoke emotion. It gets your character that's pumped up and like to all of that. And and I know you had mentioned like Superman and and um, Spider-Man a little bit. Is there any of those others or those two some of the more that you kind of pulled from? Or what, like other superhero, cape, crusader, anything like that that you pulled from? Um, a really, really, really big influence for me was Shazam. Because I just love that character so much. And on a purely symbolic level, Shazam is a character who is, you know, a, a, a teen boy that all of a sudden becomes an adult male superhero, like an adult man, like a, like a huge muscular man. And I kind of thought of it, that was... That was a nifty parallel, even though that's not literally what happens to Bart. It's sort of for a minute there it appears to be what happens to him. The fact that he is a boy and then all of a sudden he shows up as this new superhero. And there's also a sensibility in Shazam Comics, which is what I wanted to go for here, which is like a really freewheeling, inventive, funny, colorful style of things. Like, you know, if you go look at old Golden Age and Silver Age Superman stuff, a lot of it is very um, wild and colorful, but there's nothing compared to Shazam. Like, the, like the Shazam comics, the, the, the Golden Age Shazam is so cartoony, and the, the you know, the bad guys are, are monsters, and, you know, the crocodile men, and all this kind of stuff. That's definitely an influence that's going to turn up a lot more in Dr. Demora, too, if we're able to, to do those stories. Uh, so that was a big one for me. And then I, I had another um, another comic that really influenced me, and this is a weird one, was uh, the Warlock uh, the Warlock Saga, which is you know the story that got published across several different titles in the seventies, in like nineteen seventy eight, I think, that uh, Jim Starlin wrote and drew the story without a Warlock. Um, and what I find so fascinating about that story is that it has kind of the same time travel loop. Uh, that this story has, although it plays out in a very, very different way. Because that story is all about Adam Warlock going around space, trying to, you know, trying to be a hero, and he's trying to stop this, this villain, this, the Church of Universal Truth, and the villain is the Magus, and then he discovers that the Magus is, is him from the future. And then he has this whole, like, I can't turn into that guy. And it plays out in a very different way, and there's a scene which is so memorable when he meets... At one point, he jumps around in time, Adam Warlock, and he meets himself from only like a couple of years in the future. And the guy that he meets is so disillusioned, so unhappy, and he's depressed, and he basically says, my life is going to fail you. And, he's, and he says, like, just kill me. Just forget it. Just kill me. And this is when Adam Warlock has uh, 
the soul gem, you know, this is the, the this is pre-Infinity War, pre-Infinity Gauntlet, you know, the soul gem that has to like steal souls, and he and he does it. He, he kills his future self, uh, and by doing that, he prevents the Magus from ever existing. And he thinks he's he thinks he's won, but he's done it like at what cost? He's been he's been stealing souls and he's been killing people all through the galaxy. And then the story goes on for several more issues. And eventually it gets to the point where he does become that guy that he met. And he's now the really disillusioned one. Things are very dark. So that was a, uh, it's a very different story, with a very different mood and a very different ending, obviously. But it's a thing that I thought about a lot because I really love that whole idea of meeting yourself in the future and swearing that you'll never become that guy. And then, what can you do? I mean, it's like your fate is set. Yeah. If you were to see your, you know, 50-year-old, 30, 40-year-old self when you were 12, like, what would that have changed in the direction of your life? Um, it's a cool question to ask. You know, if you knew where you were right now, what choices would you make different um, throughout those times or what would you tell yourself? So I think it's a an interesting direction and choice to be made. So, yeah. It's also, a, uh, you're absolutely right, and it's also a thing that, you know, we, we, we become, into, we grow into adulthood, we live our lives, we do the best we can, and, and there might be things that we, that we're proud of and that, you know, that we're happy with, but there are also things that are compromised, you know, because that's just the nature of life. And if I were to meet myself as a kid now, there's a lot that I could tell him and show him that he'd be like, wow, this is great. Like, the elections are great. But there's also a lot where he'd be like, really? No, seriously? Like, for one thing, he'd be like, oh, you lost your hair. <laughs> oh, that sucks. <laughs> 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 but, you know, there's a lot of stuff like that. Like, like uh, you know, as you grow older, you kind of have to deal with not, you know, regret is maybe an extreme way of putting it, but just the fact that, like, compromise. You have to live with a lot of compromise in your life that's just what adulthood is and i think it's interesting to picture like a kid meeting their future adult self and being like i can't i can't let that happen i can't get into that person yeah I, I, it would be hard for me not to say go bet the 2016 cubs um and do a little back to the future but <laughs> <laughs> well back to the future got that wrong by one year huh? they, they were close they, they were close they were close <laughs> Yeah. And so, you know, there you talked a little bit about it. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> change that. Um, but yeah, there's many people in the chat basically saying they want to see you continue on Valiant Characters. Um, obviously, we want to see you on Dr. Tomorrow as well. Um, what, what, I mean, of what you can say, what does the future look like a little bit? Uh, what does tomorrow look like? Well, I would, I would warn, I would start off by warning you that, like, it's poor form to talk about. Oh, I wish I could write this character, that character, because, first of all, somebody at Valiant might have that in development already that I don't know about, and then it just looks bad if I, like, I don't want to take any character away from anybody. Oh yeah. Um, but you know, there's stuff, there's stuff that you can see that I've teed up in this story that I really hope uh, I can pay off. Um, I would really love to keep doing. Uh, Mila, like I have a whole Mila story that, that we're kind of, you know, we introduce her her fabulous time computer in this comic, 
I have a whole story that's that's her having adventures predicated on, on that very device. Um, I would really love to do. I, I've said this several times, so forgive me if I'm repeating myself. But um, people always joke that uh, Rex the Razor shows up in that in that battle. This character of Rex the Razor. Somebody tweeted at me and said, "Like, how did he get there? Like, he's not supposed to be there." And I'm like, "There's a reason. There's a story of why he's on Earth because he lives in a, he lives in a dead site. He lives in another dimension. There's a story why he's on Earth. We just haven't seen that story yet. Well, I I pitched that story. I, I hope I can do it." Okay. That's another thing. I really, you know, I really love Capsha. I, I hope I would be able to get to do something with Capsha. You know, fun to do a real kind of like spy story, superhero superhero themed spy story would be a whole lot of fun. So yeah, stuff like that. Um, and of course, more Doctor Tomorrow. And and if I do get to do like my twelve issue Doctor Tomorrow opus, it would also feature. Uh, it it would mostly be a solo story, but it would feature a lot of guest stars. Like, Really hope we get to do an issue with, uh, you know, Doctor Tomorrow teaming up with Doctor Mirage, something like that. Um, there's a lot of stuff like that I, I would love to get to if we can, but we'll see. Not, nothing is nothing is set in stone yet. It's all it's all the jury's out on all of it. So we'll see. Well, we'll keep our fingers crossed for sure because I think that um, after getting to read this, uh, I. Like I said before, I, I definitely want more. I, I'm I'm bummed that uh, this was the last issue of this series, and uh, definitely hoping there's another one. Yeah, thank you. But, and especially what Scott Bloom says, uh, Doctor Tomorrow would be a great series. On that we'll go for it. <laughs> I would so watch that. It's got a tight. It's got a tight beginning, middle, and end. It could be a good movie. I think. Yeah. I, mean, I don't write. I don't. I don't set out to write a comic book hoping it'll become a movie. Because that's doing a disservice to the medium of comics, right? But it, yeah, but it's such a, a it's such a it's such a finite little story, at least as an origin, mm -hmm. that I think uh, it would be fun. To, it would be fun to kind of adapt it as a movie. If I was in the place. a man can dream. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. Though I actually had that thought after reading the the last issue, like it would work in that kind of format obviously like you said it wasn't written like how do i write a movie okay now i'm gonna turn it into a comic it was written as a comic but um but yeah i think that you're right it has that structure that it is mm -hmm. a beginning middle and end with also threads there that could be picked up in the future i'd love to see you know what happens to the locked up evil doctor tomorrow and yeah all the rest of the characters there's a uh, I've put so much thought into the at this point I'm, um, I'm I'm I would I'm giving away too much if I go on talking about it but I've thought so much about the relationship that I want the two this is so confusing to talk about because they're both they're both Bart and they're both called Doctor Tomorrow um, when I wrote the last script in order to keep it uh, clear for Jim to follow and for Robert and everybody to follow what I did was I called the first guy Doc Tom and I called the second guy Doc Bart. And then after that, we just refer to them as, you know, Tom and Doc Bart. But um, I've put so much thought into like, eventually, if we get to do another story, there's going to be some kind of supervillain that Doc, that you know, that Bart doesn't know how to, doesn't really know how to manage them or whatever. And he, and he's like, let me go talk to somebody for advice. And then he goes to see Doc in his jail cell, like a like a Hannibal Lecter type thing. That's what and I was thinking, like, Hannibal Lecter. 
Yeah, and it's like a flinty, <laughs> like they hate each other. They're at each other's throats. They're in this whole conversation where they where they are just basically sniping at each other. But the thing is, I would love to I would love to keep exploring that relationship because in my in my vision of it, they're they're gonna keep seeing each other again and again because Clark goes and visits them a few times. And little by little they kind of they kind of like they are the same person after all. They just turned out different ways. So they kind of find all these different ways where they where they kind of start to get along. And they and they kind of like develop a, a sort of a oh are they becoming friends is this is this turning out this way now and uh, yeah that's something I'd really love to explore some more is how what future permutations are there for their relationship that it you know that it's it started out warm then it became toxic and now you know now it's going to be angry and hate filled but it could still come back around to warm in some kind of way you know. They, they understand each other. They learn to respect each other. I really, I really want to get to do that. I really love that aspect of a villain that basically lingers around, stays around, right? For an Arkham Asylum type of fill, um, to have them sitting there, re ready for certain things. Like I think it's great for the the tool bag of future stories. Um, what you said there reminds me of, I mean, real life of uh, of Bundy of Ted Bundy, how he tried to help catch the Green River Killer, right? Uh, with all those re that, those things that happened. So I, I feel like there's so much that can happen with something like that. And uh, that's what makes it, like, again, makes it fun. Um, and it makes it to this, like, this character that, you know, has a different view that we, we haven't really seen outside of Faith uh, in Valiant Universe, potentially Quantum, but he's a goofball. Um, and well, so I always, when I always compare these characters, the way I always break it down to, to myself is like, uh, you know, Quantum is a striver, uh, but Quantum is a, is a is a humor character, so it, things are never going to work out for him. Yeah. He's trying he's trying to be a superhero, but things are never going to work out for him because because he's a comedy character, and that's great. And I mean, I love him. But I, Quantum and Woody was one of my favorite things personally. That I, I love those characters. And then Faith, you know, when you talk about a, a, a comic book universe having a kind of a, an aspirational moral character, in the Valiant universe, aside from Faith, like there, there was no one else that could be it. That's, that character was Faith for Valiant for a long time. But the tricky thing with Faith is that, is that she, there's a difference between a character that you relate to and a character that you aspire, aspire to be like, you know? And like, Spider-Man is a very, very morally upstanding, good, good person, a good character. But he's a character that you like because you can relate to him. Whereas Superman is a character that you like because you look up to him, and it's very different. Like you don't necessarily look up to Spider-Man, but you see yourself in him. And that's the thing uh, for me with Faith is that she's a she is what you would call a morally aspirational character in in some ways. But she's a character. She's more Spider-Man than, than Super. She's a character that when I read her comics, I identify with her and I, and I relate to her. And it's a you know, reading a faith comic is, is basically seeing yourself represented in in particular cues and seeing how like you know half the time Faith reacts to things like she's in over her head. She you know she 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 behaves as a superhero the way any of us would. Uh, when you're confronted with things that are so terrifying and, and so much bigger than you. And with a character like Dr. Tomorrow, we were trying to go for uh, 
uh, kind of larger than life sort of thing. He's not necessarily a character that you see yourself in, although he, although he starts out that way, but the idea is to grow him to, you know, this is a character who is like better, you know, like better morally than everyone around him and you should aspire to look up to him. He's sort of a mashup of, of those two kinds of characters in a way. As as you as we've spent all this time talking about, he's also like deeply morally flawed. But that's his whole thing, being so morally flawed that he makes the efforts to be better. We and also got to go on that journey with him. I that was I, I was trying to make a point there, but I was just rambling. No, but that but, makes total sense about those uh, you know what I mean? Just the, the, the distinction between the the superheroes itself, so within the universe. I yeah, think though we'll that he does strive he does ride that line though that you're talking about because you would want to hope you would hope that you would make the decisions that he makes. And he is that aspirational hero. But he's also a little bit relatable because we got to go on that journey with him to becoming that. Yeah. I yeah, absolutely, yeah. I when I was when I was trying to figure out this character, I kept thinking of role models. Like I kept thinking of Superman, obviously, and Captain America, who are like maybe the two most iconic, larger-than-life, good guys of characters. And I was thinking about both of them, like what makes them the way they are, basically what makes them selfless, what makes them good, what makes them humble. And you know, in the case of Superman, well, the thing is, for both of them, it's like it's like kind of baked in from the start you know like with captain america it's the fact that he that he was physically weak and he was bullied and then he suddenly gets power but he understands what it's like to be the underdog and he uh understands that he has to use his power on behalf of people who need to be defended you know who need a hero to look after them and then superman is like the refugee who was raised by kind parents who taught him compassion and kindness and, and bravery and so for both of those characters like it's baked into their origin like what is the thing that motivates them to make the choice to try to be better and to try to be good so when i was trying to figure out this character like on the you know on the outline stage and the pitching stage it was about like what makes him be good and like i said earlier now i'm repeating myself the, the answer was knowing knowing that you can be bad knowing that like you could be good or you could be bad and it's a choice that you have to make every day is the thing that uh you know fundamentally knowing what's at stake is the thing that inspires him to, to know that he has to try harder yeah i think that what's one of the things that i really enjoyed is that we get to go with bart as he sees himself become the bad guy in his future self and then we get to go along with him as he takes control and becomes something other than that and says, I have more potential in me than that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I just want to gush about this book because it is definitely something that everybody should be, should know about and should be reading. I, I appreciate you saying that. One of the things that I was always so uh, worried about with this comic is, and one of the reasons that I'm so grateful to Valiant for publishing it is that right from the very pitch stage, I knew that this was a comic that wasn't even going to seem that special until like halfway through or more. You know, like you're asking, when you pitch this comic, you're asking Valiant 
and readers to take a chance on a superhero story that starts out in a way that is like pretty typical. Like it starts out with a superhero recruiting a boy sidekick. Okay, you know, like we've seen that before. And then the twist that I wanted to bring to the story doesn't really come up until the end of issue three, really until issue four. Um, I was I was aware all along that that's a, that's a big you're going out on a limb there. You're asking a publisher to, to put this out for you. You're asking readers to take a chance on this comic when it's not until like it's slow. It's a story that slowly unpacks itself halfway through or more. So yeah, I'm glad that I'm glad that it uh, just for my sake. I'm glad it worked out because if it didn't work out, that would have been a crazy risk. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> it'll be the last thing I ever wrote. <laughs> well, it worked out really well, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was a good change of pace that Valiant needed. I know I at first was a little leery having, you know, an acclaimed type of title, you know what I mean, with Stormbreaker coming out. And, you know, at first when I had, you know, figured out what it was, I was like, oh, why, why, why? And then and then I get, we got sent the preview copy, and it was just like, Okay, I'm in. I'm in. I think all of us were. Um, it, it it paid off really well. Um, sad that COVID got it in the middle of it, but it was one of the ones where we were all looking forward to this one coming back out, uh, getting hey, a lot of issues. I mean, COVID might have delayed it, but I'm re- but we finished it, and that's all. That's what counts. Right. Yes. Uh, and it reads so well all together too. Having read one through five in a day, like it it reads so well as a trade. So I hope, I think it's going to do really well when trades come out, but make sure you're picking up like that Clayton Henry cover today uh, was gorgeous. Um, anytime you get him on a, you know, anytime, you know, Kenneth Rockefeller's doing covers too. Oh. Um, plenty of good issues to get out there and get. Yeah. Those Kenneth Rockefeller covers were just phenomenal. Yeah. I'm like I... He's Puerto Rican like me. <laughs> yes. But and also oh. this this image is gonna have a great thing if it takes off. Like this is the the record the the could be the valiant recognizable image more so than a red circle, right? Sorry, Eric, you're mad at me now. That, um but that's that's yeah. blasphemy. Yeah. That's you're talking about a, about something that has decades of, of legacy. <laughs> blasphemy. But I could just see a little kid kind of wearing that, is all I'm saying. Like you could have that on a shirt with that logo, um, and it could mean something. And, and it's maybe not for a while, but as the character grows, as the brand of that Dr. Tomorrow grows, I see that there's a lot of opportunity there. One can only hope. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I love the title. More than anything else, like the title is just so cool. I can't believe that, that, that was a title that was available that we got to use. I mean, the fact that Bob Layton locked it up back in the day is why, but... What a cool name after tomorrow. Such yeah. A, such a whiz-bang, old-school kind of feel. Yeah. And I think that that... I think what works so well with that kind of feel that the title has is it being in a, an all-ages comic. And I don't... Like we were talking about before, by that I don't mean a kid's comic. I mean an all-ages comic. This isn't just as enjoyable for me, a man in my 30s, as I would hope that it would be for someone who's maybe a kid getting into comics and just trying to see what's out there because, you know, we get to, like I said before, we get to go along on the journey with the main character growing up and becoming a hero. I think that's, 
that's something that we can all we all know the struggles of growing up right whether you're in the middle of it or you've already done it that reminds me of uh of uh when we talked about this around the time of issue number one uh, we were talking about how kids would respond to it uh, mm -hmm. and how and how boys boys or girls separately would respond to it and of course i couldn't say anything at the time but i was like oh there's you'll see there's stuff in here there's stuff in here for everybody i think yeah you know, i couldn't yeah. give away any of that <laughs> absolutely like one of the stepkids he, here he is you know i told him dr tomorrow and before you know i showed him an image and oh that's my favorite superhero <laughs> you know just was sold he was sold you know like just by the name and just the imagery of it so he was like yep that's my favorite who's batman like it was it was interesting just seeing a five-year-old just take to it so yeah he's got an iconic look and a name and and the story's awesome mm -hmm. when uh when the comic was first about to come out or when the first issue came out maybe i can't remember that was another thing is that somebody uh, on Twitter, somebody tweeted at me and said like, oh, I'm not crazy about the helmet. And I replied like, don't worry, it's not gonna be around for very long. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I tried to make it look like a teaser, like I was like I was teasing that he was gonna die as a misdirect, like as a red herring. But yeah. Sure. Yeah, don't worry about the helmet. It's, it's it's the helmet is like deliberately old school, deliberately goofy. It looks corny. It's got the big antenna. I love it. It's it looks so cool, and yeah, it's not gonna be around for long. So, <laughs> I liked it. I thought it looked cool. I thought all the designs were really cool. Um, that, was actually, that was one of the. Since you, since that came up, let me tell you that was that was purely Jim Toe, uh, and like what a great addition. Like I love that. The old Doctor Tomorrow, of course, wore a helmet that had those green goggles. Mm -hmm. um, we weren't really thinking along those lines. Like when Robert and I were talking, we were just thinking like, like the the final look that Bart wears at the end. We were thinking something along those lines, like you know, bold, simple colors and a, and a cape. That's what we wanted. And we talked to Jim about it, and he went away instead of doing sketches, and he came back with um, the adult Doctor Tomorrow with the helmet, which right away looked cool. Like that that design got approved immediately and then he did the team bart with his own version of the armor with the helmet and we were like that's that, uh, like that's amazing that's incredible literally all of those designs got approved on the spot um, the only design that we went back and forth on for what for a week or more was Adrian, because it was supposed to be like the most over the top the most over the top the most 90s style super villain possible and even then there was a lot like we didn't know what to you know I, all i all i described of adrian for jim was um i wanted him to look like really over the top old school comic book supervillain style but i also wanted him to look like kind of legal like he like he carries himself with a lot of dignity and wears a cloak like over his shoulder but that like like no more detail than that and jim went away and he gave him the big mane of hair and he gave him like the weird scar with the purple skin and all of that like those were all jim's idea he gave him a robot arm like a cybernetic <laughs> arm that was totally jim's idea and that stuff was incredible ninja turtle fingers yeah yes. yeah well, that stuff worked so well that was all jim loved it yeah it worked out great and then what i heard reference was a uh, speed racer with uh, young bart too 
Um, I think that was a lot because <laughs> of that uh, issue number one. Kind of, uh, I forget who did the art yeah, on that. The, yeah, uh, Stacey Lee. The, yes. That one cover by Stacey Lee with the yellow background, which is actually going to be the cover of the trade. Um, oh, yeah. That that cover, I love that cover. Yeah, when that cover came out, it, it had a very speed racer kind of look, or a very gacha man like Battle of the Planets type look to it. So that's what a lot of people compared it to, which is fine with me. I love speed racing, but <laughs> it was also funny that a lot of people latched onto that really strongly, with like, with like, man, what is with this look, or what is with this helmet? And of course, like, spoilers. I couldn't tell anybody like, nah, this is it's just temporary. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Couldn't do it. I couldn't give it away. Yeah, it yeah. all worked out great. And then, you know, you know, and not to talk about future stuff or anything, but is there any other things that you got coming out uh, elsewhere outside of Valiant? Um, there's stuff I don't think I can you talk, can't about. talk about. Yeah, there's stuff I don't think I can talk about. I, I recently wrote a short story for a kids publisher. Um, but that is like not even all ages. This is kids' kids. But I can't. I don't think. I don't think there's any news on that. Okay. Uh, and I have a couple of other things in development, but you know, you know how development is. I can't talk about it, and it might not even come to pass anyway. But we'll see. Let us know. We'd love to support any way we can. You know, Valiant family becomes Valiant family, right? So that's the way it is. <laughs> I should say, it behooves me to say, there is also all the stuff that I work on as, as editor. Like, I'm the editor on a little comic book called The Old Guard, which is yes. on Netflix. Um, so the, the trade of volume two of The Old Guard is about to come out in stories. Are you going to be working on the, the new Stumptown as well? No, because that's through Oni. So okay. Oni, uh, I work on- I like people at Oni. Robert. I was just kidding. Yeah. I said, we don't like people at Oni. <laughs> kidding. Um, Where he's a friend. We love him. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I work on a lot of comics with Greg Rekka, but only the ones that he does at Image because those okay. are the creator owns. So those are the ones uh, where he brings in an editor on his own. The stuff he does at Oni, like Stumptown, you know, they, they have editors. They're handling it themselves. Yeah. But yeah, I edit The Old Guard. I'm also editing a comic uh, called Black Magic. It's uh, the second, I'm uh, sorry, the third arc is just coming out now. And Lazarus, another Greg Rucka. Yeah. <laughs> so, so on that, did you kick any of this off of Greg at all for any type of feedback? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, he didn't give me any. I mean, I showed it to, yeah. What did I? No, you know what? I, I told him I was I told him I was writing this comic. Yeah. Um. I didn't write anything by him. Uh. At the at that stage, at the script stage. By the time that we were doing um, lettering, and I had the first couple of issues lettered, I sent him those, and I and then I told and he read those, and then I told him all of what was going to happen for the rest of the series, which at that point wasn't drawn. Or and. And I mean, he liked it. As you get to like when that ad, we put out that teaser ad before the first issue launched with blurbs, and he had the, he had like the longest and kindest one on there because he really liked it. So yeah. But aside from that, yeah, I didn't run anything by him for feedback because I feel like that would be imposing uh, too much. Like, you know, hey, Greg, can you read this and give me advice? I'm sure he would do it, but I feel it would be out of line. 
Super awesome. Well, as we can tell, you didn't you clearly didn't need it because it worked out really, really well anyway. Well, you're discounting. Uh, I did. I mean, I did have an editor, Robert. It's true. Robert had a lot of good, uh, a lot of good notes and a lot of good input, and a lot of things changed because of uh, his and Drew's involvement. Um, that would have turned out very differently. Um, I talked about this one time before, uh, but at one time, at the earliest stage, like when I was doing the just issue by issue outline, at one time I had issue four take place after the finale as a kind of like, it, it, in hindsight, it doesn't make any sense. And then I bet I would have changed my mind anyway if I tried to write it, but credit to Robert that he read the outline and he was like, no, movies around. Like, I was going to have Bart get vaporized and then the adult show up, the adult version show up, and then from there we would go directly into the fight and the comic would be over with no explanation of where that guy came from. And then there would be a separate issue that showed him meeting Gretchen and Trainer. And Robert was like, what's that issue for? And so, and yeah. so that was a great that was a great team. Wouldn't have made a lot of sense the other way. So yeah, there was a lot of stuff like that. Robert had a lot of uh, definitely had a big influence on this. That's great. And and it definitely paid off. There's a huge payoff. And um I think it's a great one that like I said, the the trade is gonna read well for everybody. So yeah. And well, then definitely I hope, wanna... that, I hope that people will uh, run out to their shops and pre order it. To their local bookstore or whatever and pre-order it because that might be the only thing that determines whether we get to do more if the trade does well we'll do more that's that's all there is to it sure yeah well hopefully everybody does that i definitely agree because this is certainly a i think this is going to be an enjoyable story for a lot of people um i've compared it to one of i think valiant's highest of high watermarks which is the valiant and um, I think Dr. Tomorrow is one of those that it's up there, man. It's up there with, uh, you know, the Valiant and Seeker Weapons and some of the, the greatest uh, books the Valiant has done, in my personal opinion. Maybe others don't agree with me. I don't know. But I, I definitely think it's I, up there. I appreciate you saying that. But again, blasphemy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, think it's, I think it's there, man. Because something that I think a lot of us have wanted is that continuity in the universe. And... Um, this gives us that that closed universe feel you know we're, we're getting to see all these characters come together because there's a threat that really justifies bringing them together and it's hard to come up with a credible threat that would do that when we have characters as powerful as exo manoir and the things that he deals with in his own in his own book and you know the rest of these characters what they deal with on their in their own adventures you know coming up with a, a credible reason to bring them all together and to to showcase all of these awesome things about the whole Valiant universe while also telling a really awesome origin story. That's a lot to pack into a, a five issue story. Well, it it worked really well. I wish I could say it was easy. It wasn't easy. <laughs> <laughs> but the art paid off and we appreciate it. And we want to thank you for jumping on with us to uh, talk Dr. Tomorrow, Valiant, and uh, we're hoping, and whoever is maybe listening, we're crossing our fingers. We want to see more Alejandro on more Valiant books. Uh, we want to see some more Dr. Tomorrow. Um, 
So that's what kind of us as fans and side job podcasters kind of say. So, yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much, Alejandro, for coming on and, and talking with us about this. We're very happy to have you. Honored that you that you took time out of your day to do this. And uh, thanks again for writing such an awesome comic book. Not, not at all. Thank you guys for having me. Always a pleasure to come back on. Definitely. And before we say subscribe, we're going to say make sure you go follow Alejandro on Twitter. Um, he's on our Twitter page at the Give Valiant Hoodoo TV. Um, follow him anywhere else. Anybody else could follow you or website or anything for you, Alejandro? Uh, no, just uh, I, I'm also on Instagram, but it's not, you know, it's very similar. If you want to see pictures of my dog. <laughs> yeah, it's a cute dog, by the way. I had yeah, to use that I, image. Had to use that image. That dog is cute. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, he's a, he's a nuisance sometimes, but he's a good guy. <laughs> But yeah, I'm on Instagram. My username there is Arbonamania because AlejandroBot was taken. And AlejandroBot on Twitter, Arbonamania on Instagram. Oh, yeah. Nice. And then everybody jumping online, the chats. We had Todd, Scott, Sean, Chris, Moose, Greg. Everybody, you guys rock. We appreciate it. So make sure you're liking, sharing, thumbs up, all that other fun stuff. So. And we will be back next time. Yes, I think we got a week off because there's only the uh, rye trade next week, and then I think we have uh, Bloodshot uh, number eight coming out next week, so the week following. So we got that coming, then a rye issue coming, so some stuff is on the way. So make sure you're putting everything on your pre-order list. Go in, put Dr. Tomorrow's trade on your pre-order list. Uh, those that haven't read it that are on the show, it's great. Even if you've been spoiled, you're going to love it still. Yes, totally agreed. Well... Thanks, everybody. This has been uh, episode number, what, 172 of Get Valiant, and we will hopefully see you guys next time. Later. Thank you, guys.